Hello, hello. Welcome again to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about films off the <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best Horror Movies of All Time list. <clears throat> Excuse me. My name is Clay. With me as always is Amanda. How are you doing, Amanda? I mean, I'm stuck in my private trap, but otherwise I'm fine. Thank you. What's what does he say? I'm stuck in I'm stuck in a I was born into my trap. Yes. Yeah. I don't want to get out though. No, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't mind it anymore. But but I do. But I do. That's right. We are talking about Psycho today. I mean, I have the the stabbing noises and the strings happen right now. No. <laughs> Too much production. <laughs> this is number 7 on our list. We did actually did number 6 last time with Get Out and this mm. is uh Are we working? Yep, we're going. Okay. Sorry. This is one number worse than Get Out, according to that list. One number worse? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Anyway. A moment of silence <laughs> for that list. <laughs> it has a 97% Rotten Tomatoes score, 95% audience score. Mm-hmm. Um, we recently recorded Halloween, the first episode for our, our Patreon yes, this did. year. And uh, I I practically insulted you by asking you <laughs> if you had seen Halloween before. Yes. So much like that movie, I will uh, change my phrasing. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I will insult you again. I will insult you again. <laughs> First of all, how dare you? Yes. Yes. Second of all, what is your history with mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho? Um, I feel like this is a movie where I had seen bits and pieces of it mm-hmm. way before I had seen the whole thing. I think like a lot of people in our general age group a little older and a little younger um where you're just sort of aware of it it's out there it's on all the best of lists um and then i'm pretty sure it's one of the movies that my aunt and uncle let me see when they were babysitting us nice um and yeah i don't i don't really remember exactly how old i was but it's just sort of been around Mm. i did not love it when i first saw it i thought it was boring Nice. Other than the exciting parts, obviously. Nice. Well. But it grew on me. I had a very similar experience. Mm. Uh, Psycho's one of those movies that's just ubiquitous to the culture at mm-hmm. this point. Yes. Um, in the same way that Jaws becomes or totally even Halloween to an extent. Yeah. Uh, this is one of those movies where you, you might be able to, if you go through The Simpsons, mm. piece the entire movie together based on times yeah. that The Simpsons have. Like, that's the first time I saw Citizen Kane was watching oh, the first yeah. five seasons of The Simpsons. Oh, me too. Definitely. 100%. And this might be one where you can do something similar. It, yeah, it is very oft uh, referenced, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I the first time I saw... I don't think I saw this until I was older, actually. I do, I do like that your aunt and uncle showed it to you because mm-hmm. every now and then you get one of those movies from the 60s, quote unquote, mm-hmm. where you're, you're, whoever's watching you is like, that's yeah. from the 60s. Yeah. I can show it to my this young, is art. young ward. Yeah. There's <clears throat> no gore in it. There's no nudity. It's black and white. There's like a suggestion of sex, but mm-hmm. there's no like overt sex scene. So if you're like 12, here you go. Yeah. Have fun, kid. Yeah, and at that point, at that point as an adult, you have no comprehension of of how little it takes to terrify a child. <laughs> but like I said, I mostly found That's it true. boring. That's true. It could go either way. Yeah, I, I think I was old enough that I was sort of expecting it to be more slasher movie ish, yeah. and I was disappointed at the time. It wasn't until I came back to it much, much later that I was like, "Holy shit, this movie is amazing." Yeah, I think it's you know, and we'll get into this. I think you have to. Um, be on the same wavelength mm-hmm. 
with Hitchcock for his stuff to work for you. Yeah. Because much like The Birds, mm-hmm. I didn't really care for this the first time. Well, I liked the beginning up through the murder. Mm-hmm. And then basically every time I've watched this movie, except for recently, it's mm-hmm. been everything up through the murder is great. Mm-hmm. And then I check out for about 15 minutes until they find the mother. Yeah. <laughs> um, because that's just such a, well, we'll get into it. But, yeah. yeah. Um, I've come around to the rest of it. And I think it's one of those things where, yeah, if you you if you are on the same wavelength as as what the movie's doing, I think it works yeah. a lot better. Yeah, and it requires like a little bit more attention than I think a, a, a your standard twelve year old is willing to give it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we will get into all of that in a minute. We're gonna play. We take a quick break. We're gonna play at least some of the trailer <laughs> because uh, this movie's original trailer is six and a half minutes long. <gasps> wow. And it is you really pad out the episode. I know that. I could. We'll see how long how long we go talking, and then I'll make my decision. Um, the original trailer. I might use one of those like fan made recut things, mm. uh, and not attribute it to anybody because I'm a trash person. <clears throat> but you know what? This it's copyright material. You shouldn't have done it in the first place. You know. <laughs> uh, no, the original trailer is six and a half minutes, and it's six and a half minutes of um, I said String, strings and screaming. No, it's actually. Alfred Hitchcock walking around the set oh. explaining the movie, but not in like a spoilery way. Ah. It's just like it starts with him. Well, I'll play a Good little evening. Bit of, yeah, yeah. It starts with him outside the hotel and he's like, mm-hmm. this is a motel, but it now has become the scene of the crime. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. Got like, it. And this room is where they found the body, like that kind of mm. thing. Just kind of hyping it up. Real William Castle shit, which we'll get into a bit later, too. So uh, we're going to play a little bit of something for you, and then we'll be back to talk about Psycho. Here we have a quiet little motel, when in fact it has now become known as the scene of the crime. You have a vacancy? Oh, we have 12 vacancies. You know, this is the first place it looks like it's hiding from the world. I think that we're all in our private traps, clamped in them. And none of us can ever get out. Is anyone at home? Oh, that that, uh, that must be my mother. Is anything wrong? missing so much as she's run away. Put me down. Mother, oh God, mother. What are you running away from? She looked like a wrong one to you. It's not as if she were a, a maniac. She just goes a little mad sometimes. All right, Psycho, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, written by Joseph Stefano or Stefano, based on the novel by Robert Block, starring Anthony Perkins, Janet Lee, Vera Miles, John Gavin, Martin Balsam, and the music of Bernard Herrmann. Mm. Amanda, what happens in Psycho? 
Phoenix Secretary Marion Crane on the lam after stealing $40,000 from her employer uh, in order to run away with her boyfriend is overcome by exhaustion during a heavy rainstorm. Traveling on the back roads to avoid the police, she stops for the night at the Ramshackle Bates Motel and meets the polite but highly strung proprietor Norman Bates, a young man with an interest in taxidermy and a difficult relationship with his mother. Yes. All true. All true. Well, Clay, some things you'll find in Psycho include... Mm-hmm. Um, crime bra. Crime bra. You know it's crime time <laughs> when she's wearing the black bra, yep. baby. Crime bra. Every woman has one. <laughs> the first on-screen toilet flush on American film. This is true. Uh, up until then, it was, it was not... Um, I don't think it was a direct rule that mm-hmm. you couldn't show a toilet, mm-hmm. but it was like heavily preferred by the ratings yeah. board and, and the yeah. Hayes Code or whatever. Maybe not still explicit, but certainly implied. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, apparently the writer was like, we're putting a toilet in the movie. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> and Alfred Hitchcock said, well, write it into the movie. That's how it gets in the movie. And right. so that's what he did. All right. Uh, the relief of the cop behind you getting off the highway. Yeah. Um, that's probably one of the most relatable things in the movie yes. is yes. after she gets pulled over <laughs> and then she's driving yes. away and the cop is still behind her uh-huh. and her constantly checking and the her music mirror. music is still kind of intense and then he pulls off and it like, ah, oh, yes. relief. Uh, extreme memory foam mattress. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It remembers every time anybody has ever laid on it. It, it was. It's like a Looney Tunes cartoon yeah, when they go through the wall or like down through the pavement or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You see. You see that impression right before it goes. <laughs> yeah. And sh- yep. throws you through the ceiling. Uh, and questionable mothering. Questionable mothering. And I say it that way because. We technically never get to meet Mrs. Bates. So we don't know what kind of parent she was, but we do know that in this movie, Mother is quite bad. That's true. Yeah. Very bad. Very bad, yeah. Sounds yes. like her boyfriend wasn't that great either, you know? <laughs> but who's I don't know. to say? We really only have Norman's word for it. So yes. who knows? Uh, this movie, Hitchcock did this movie on a small budget using a, mm. uh, using a crew that was basically from the Alfred Hitchcock TV show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, after he was, he was fed up with his big budget movies, he had just done Vertigo, which was considered a flop or a, a, a disappointment anyway. Huh. And North by Northwest, which was a, a success, but mm-hmm. also very expensive. Yeah. Um, and it was also a bit. In response to uh, Clouseau's Diabolique, which is another mm-hmm. low-budget black-and-white movie thriller huh. that critics said out-Hitchcocked Hitchcock. Ah, and so, uh, you can't let that stand. Yeah, he decided to to one-up the man. <laughs> Up the ante a little bit for the next, oh, you know, 50, 60, 70 years. Yes, and, yeah. and uh, also he was, he was known to have said... Uh, there's so there's so many bad movies, bad B movies that do well that are in black and white. Mm-hmm. What would happen if someone made a good one? <laughs> and so here we are with Psycho. Wow. So getting into Psycho, I have one question. Yes. Is Ed Gein one of the most influential people of the 20th century? That's a very interesting question. Mm. I mean, yeah. I think if you take his pop culture legacy... 
Absolutely, because you get this and Texas Chainsaw and Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. There's all... another movie called Deranged from the 70s, but nobody knows what that is. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, this Psycho, Texas Chainsaw, and Silence of the Lambs are so huge. Like they're 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 all such movies that have had such an enormous impact and are so widespread. Yeah. That I think yeah, if 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 you want to just count his sort of more diffuse impact, then yes. But I do think a lot of people don't realize it. I agree. I it's also, I mean, I he I can't remember how many did he actually kill anybody? He killed <clears throat> I think two people for sure. Okay. But the others there's there's one or two where there's like a question if he killed his brother. Some people say he did, some people say it was an accident. There was never really anything known, but I think he killed uh, I know he killed like a local bartender and like a shop owner okay. as well, I'm pretty sure. And then he robbed a bunch of graves. Okay. Yeah. Victimless crime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the reason I ask is because he also kind of invented the serial killer as far as, mm. I, I, obviously he didn't do that on purpose, but like the, the concept, the modern understanding of what a serial killer is yeah. tends to go back to him. Yeah. The sort of psychosexual type of serial killer that people think of when they think of serial killer yeah 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 and he's he features big in um um the book mindhunter mm-hmm. which is about the creation of the uh, uh the bau or the, yep, the behavioral analysis yeah i can't remember which one is from criminal minds and which yeah. one's from the book yeah um but yeah th- th- he's this really odd figure mm-hmm. who did some horrible shit yeah and sort of became the boogeyman for an entire country yeah to the point where it's been... He was the butcher of Plainfield, right? Yeah. Wasn't that it? That's a cool name. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do I got to do to get a name yeah. like that? <laughs> well... <laughs> Let me get my pen and paper. You need to kill at least two middle-aged or older ladies. No problem. Uh, And then desecrate your mother's corpse. Mm. <laughs> Make yourself a woman suit mm. and live as a crazed hermit who only lets young boys come to his house to look at his cool stuff. You seemed okay with step one, which is a little disconcerting. It seemed to only be when it got real weird that you yeah. uh, well put this put this dream aside. Guess I will go back to the drawing board for that one. <laughs> I would like to I would like to also say one of the greatest moments of my life was at the Halloween party we were at this past year. Oh, when Ed Gein came up in conversation, uh-huh. and our friend Sean said, "Who's Ed Gein?" Uh-huh. and then without missing a beat, our friend Pat and myself, yeah. who are uh, one of our first sort of real bonding things, mm-hmm. weirdly enough, was American Psycho. Huh. At the exact same time said, the Maitre d' at Canal Bar, which is in the movie. It said, Iggy, uh, who's that? Maitre yep. d' at Canal so, yep. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Movie's not on the list anymore. It doesn't matter. Aww. Uh Yeah, but this is, this is based on uh, the book Psycho, which is uh, by Robert Block that was... Um, influenced by the crimes of ed gein and yeah. it it has the ed gein to the book to the movie to everything that comes after the movie mm. has a really fascinating legacy um yeah. of dissemination through pop culture in a, in a really interesting way we as i said we just covered halloween mm-hmm. and um i had mentioned that halloween is sort of the uh the three really important movies that come in the right before Halloween are Black Christmas, The Exorcist, and Texas Chainsaw. Mm-hmm. But you really can't leave out Psycho. 
Yeah. Because but it's like it was like one more generation. Yeah. Ahead. Yeah. And I th- I think that I think the thing that Psycho brings is a lot of the um, suspense mm-hmm. and definitely the use of the music. Yeah. I don't think you get the soundtrack. I I don't think you get the soundtrack to Halloween without The Exorcist, but even more so, I don't think you get it without um, yeah. Psycho. So all that being said, <laughs> um, the the this movie happens. I'm kind of winging it here, so feel free to steal the, steer the ship. Uh, Never. This movie happens at a really interesting point in movie history because it's 1960. Mm-hmm. Horror movies through the 50s. We've we've left the Universal Monster period, right? And now we're into the 50s where it's a lot of sci-fi stuff. It's yeah. a lot of uh, Godzillas. You're, you're them. Attack of the 50-foot woman or 500-foot woman yep. or whatever. It's yeah. a lot of atomic age stuff. Yes. And I think one of the, the one of the, the things that they, people say about Halloween is that it brought the horror to the, your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I think Psycho does something very similar because after 10 years or so of monsters and, you know. The, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Werewolf. Well, you've gone from the supernatural to the science fiction. Yes. Yeah. And then this comes out, and this is the guy, literally the guy next door. Yeah. And it's shocking in a in a hundred different ways. Yeah. And uh, it's um, where do you want to start? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think there's so many places you could start. We have kind of. And we're going to have to gloss over all the movies that this has had an impact on Mm. because, you know, we just chatted a little bit about how it kind of led into Halloween, but also more modern films. We did Get Out recently. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of psycho in Get Out. True. There's a lot of that suspense and that slow sort of like, why are people acting so strange Mm -hmm. and traveling away from your home to a place that is conceptually familiar like a like a motel motels mm-hmm. are familiar but when you're there if you've never been there before it's a strange place you know that that whole thing um greg and i recently watched x nice and there's a lot of psycho in x really oh yeah i don't remember that I'm, I'm oh yeah there's that again. there's a lot there's the the um the car in the swamp oh sure so the the car sunk in the yeah. swamp the uh preserved body in the basement yep a crazy murderous old lady mm-hmm. um this sort of codependent unhealthy relationship yep you, you can you can just you can see so much of it if you start looking for psycho in any horror movie post psycho you're gonna find it i feel right. like um and i don't know how much of that is hitchcock's influence on everything that came afterwards but also he did such a great job of harnessing these sort of universal fears and making them feel real like Mm -hmm. like making a situation that there isn't a monster there isn't an alien there's no demon coming up from hell to attack you these are just people these are people who for various reasons have made choices and done horrible things at times right right and uh, we were talking as we were watching it um i mentioned that uh the structure of it even kind of mm-hmm. reminded me of Barbarian. Yeah. Which is obviously, there's some differences. But yes. <laughs> it has it has a similar kind of thing in Barbarian through the mm-hmm. interaction with the girl and Bill Skarsgård up through yep. the big turn. And you're in, an, you're in an unfamiliar house. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, then and the I big think mid, mid point turn. And, where norm- of- and similarly, 
Yeah. Norman Bates also turns into a giant hag, <laughs> hag monster. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think this the structure is an interesting place to start because yeah. that's that's really the thing. So I've watched in the last handful of months, I've watched three Hitchcock movies. I've mm. watched Psycho, mm. Vertigo, and The Birds. Mm-hmm. And all three of those movies kind of do the same thing mm. where for the first half, I find myself going, what the hell is this movie? Yeah. <laughs> and yes. I don't mean that in a bad way. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I recently, um, <clears throat> I had seen Vertigo years ago. I think mm-hmm. I probably talked about this before, but mm-hmm. I had gone, it was playing down the street, and so I, uh, I went to see it, having pretty much forgotten about mm-hmm. what happened in it. And I found myself watching the movie being totally enthralled mm-hmm. by the first half of it, but going like, I don't know where this is going. Yeah. I have no idea what this is building to. Mm-hmm. And then when it gets to what it's building to, it knocks you for such a loop yeah. that the rest of the movie, you which gets real, real weird. Yeah. Um, like you're off kilter for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And I think the birds does the same thing where the birds is like, you know, you're watching this movie about this woman who's kind of stalking this guy. And then well, about yeah, halfway... it seems th- like it's going to be like an unconventional romance. Right. Like, like, a, like a comedy of manners kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And then about halfway through it, birds start killing people for no yeah. reason. No That one reason. at least, you know, it's kind of on the poster. <laughs> you know that's coming. Yeah. But with Psycho, um, I found myself wondering... You know, there there are certain things that I, I, I feel... We, we talked about this in Halloween as well, mm-hmm. where it's become so ubiquitous that it doesn't have you yes. kind of forget how um innovative it was yeah and how scary it probably was yep um there's this uh performance of black sabbath playing the song uh, war pigs mm. from paris in 1972 <gasps> from like right after the album came out oh, wow. it's one of the best live performances i've ever seen and yeah. my friend dan and i will periodically send it back yeah. and forth to each other yeah and every time i'm like could you imagine yes. going into a club or yeah. wherever they were playing and hearing war pigs for the first time yeah you you wouldn't know what to do with yourself absolutely i understand why people were like this is devil music this yeah. is the music of satan <laughs> and i think this movie does a, such a good job of for the literally the first half of the movie mm-hmm. because Marion Crane gets killed at right about the halfway mark. Yeah. Of giving you an it's it's it builds its tension, but it's such a um unfocused tension where mm-hmm. it's just like maybe that unfocused is the wrong word, but mm-hmm. it's like a generalized tension. Sure. That you're on edge, but part of the reason you're on edge is because you don't know where it's going. Right. And when you start to think <laughs> you've figured out where it's going then they then Marion gets killed. Right. And they you know, they they start the movie, they do such a great he does such a great job of setting up Marion as this desperate but sympathetic character. Mm-hmm. So unlike the movies that will this will inspire later, uh-huh. you're not like waiting for her to get killed. Yeah, and that is something I kinda wanted to talk about. Um not to get too far away from the discussion of the structure. Oh, it's all part of the same thing. Yeah. Um I do think, and this ties into the conversation we had on the Patreon episode about Halloween. The Which you can listen to at patreon.com slash the Penske file. Excellent. If you'd blog. like to join our Patreon. Very good. Um, and all the conversations we had about the Friday the 13th movies, all the slashers, all of mm-hmm. those, these 
sort of descendants of Psycho. You can listen to all those Patreon.com. Yeah. I got to start <laughs> pit pushing that stuff up front because yeah. I do it at the end. Like nobody's listening to that. <laughs> anyway, they know they can skip it. Yeah. Um, but I think that Marion is the blueprint for a lot of other female victims in slasher and horror movies. She yeah. is quote unquote promiscuous. You know, she's having sex outside of marriage. Yeah, promiscuous by 1960s standard. Yes, yes. yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not saying that I actually think she is. But to sure. the to the time period and the world that this movie is taking place in, she's an unmarried woman having sex with a divorced man right. in hotel rooms on her lunch break. That's pretty scandalous. Yeah. And then she's also a thief. Yep. So she breaks the law. And she has sex and she ends up dying. And I think the thing that later movies miss out on is you spend so much time with just her Mm -hmm. in the first half of this movie. You get such a close view of her life. You're with her the whole time in the first half of the movie. I don't think it leaves her at all until she dies. No. Yeah. She's the only. Yeah. You see her when she thinks she's alone. You see her in intimate moments. You see her kind of making these decisions and then maybe regretting them and fantasizing about what could happen and what people might be saying about her. You get such a close look into her interior life that you have to be sympathetic towards her to some extent. Yeah. You you see her as a person first because you don't even expect her to become a victim. Yeah. So when she dies, it's it has a huge impact emotionally and narratively. And I feel like later on, a lot of movies took some pieces of that, but did not give the victim that level of depth of attention. Yeah. And for so much time. Yeah. I think if you make this movie 20 years later, Marion is mm-hmm. a lot harsher and probably... Yeah. <clears throat> A bit more of a floozy, so to speak. Yeah, and I don't think she's your main character. Yeah, maybe not. You know, I yeah. think 20 years later in 1980, I, I think if she's having sex with some guy in a hotel room and stealing money from her employer and eventually getting killed mid-movie, I don't think she's going to get this sympathetic treatment and I don't think yeah. she's going to be your real main character. Yeah. You might spend some time around with her, but I think it would either be more focused on Sam or Lila. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think you would, you would get the same kind of realistic view of like, she's a flawed person. She yeah. clearly makes mistakes, but I think it's easy to underestimate the immense amount of societal pressure on a woman at the time, especially to get married. And the yep. way the opening of this movie kind of hammers, the first few scenes really hammers home that Marion is not married. She yes. wants to be married. She has never been married. Everyone around her is getting married or has just gotten married. And she's the only one sort of in this holding pattern living with her sister. And so you can just kind of start to feel the pressure that she must have been feeling all the time from all the people around her and how this is just starting to like grate on her to a point where she can't take it anymore. And I would like to point out at this point, if we ever start doing postcards sending out for the Patreon, hmm. I promise that I'll lick the stamps. <laughs> like, even honestly, just her reading of that line. It's so has, crazy, but it's so great. Yeah, but it just has this desperation behind it that it just, Janet like, Lee's performance is just so good. Think about it. Why does she want to marry Sam? 
Great question, because he sucks. He sucks. He they have very little chemistry. Yeah. Which blows my mind because she's Janet Lee. I mean, look at yeah. they have very little chemistry. He spends his time hiding her. Yeah. And he's divorced. She's single. There's no reason they can't go on normal dates. Yep. Why haven't they? It's clear they haven't, because she in the in the opening scene with the two of them, she's had it. She's like, this is it. We're not, I'm not answering you anymore. We're not doing this anymore. I can't, I can't Mm -hmm. keep sneaking around. I don't want to just meet up in hotel rooms. I want to have a real date. If you want to go to dinner, it's going to be at my house with my sister. It's going to be respectable. I'm sick of this shit. So he won't really date her. Mm -hmm. He's paying his wife alimony. Mm -hmm. He's paying off his debts. He lives in the stock room behind the hardware store that Mm -hmm. he works at. Mm -hmm. He only works at a hardware store. He doesn't seem super committed to her. Yeah. Like he doesn't seem very, we kind of talked about this, that the first time I really remember watching this through and paying real attention to the plot Mm -hmm. and not really, you know, so I had seen it before probably, but I hadn't registered so much. I hadn't absorbed so much. First time I watched it through with actual attention, I remember being confused where I was like, wait, I know he comes back later in the movie, but he's with the sister. Is he really in love with the sister? Yeah. Like I had this weird fake memory because I, I couldn't stop the feeling that it felt like he was jerking Marion around. Even still, I've seen this movie. I've watched it three times in the last couple months Mm because I just got the the 4K and so I watched it and then I listened to the commentary and stuff. Yeah. Every time I watch it, I think he's doing something shady. There's something going on here. Like it never becomes part of the movie. And yet she is so desperate to marry him that you get that crazy line reading of I'll lick the stamps. Yeah. And it's like, whoa. Like she's she's gorgeous. She's clearly smart. She's got a job. Mm-hmm. She can support herself. There's no reason why Marion couldn't find someone else. So right. Like what's what's going on here? What's interesting is not that I think that you need this stuff because mm-hmm. I think the movie does a good job on its own. But in the book, which I also I read recently, um, they meet on a cruise mm. and. Um, they fall in love on a cruise, which explains why they're kind of in a long distance relationship. Yeah. And uh, Sam's deal is that he is running his his late father's hardware store mm. because when his father died, he left him the hardware store, but he also left him all the debt that came with it. Sure. And so he's under immense uh, financial strain, mm-hmm. which is a big part of why she steals the money. Right. And um, which I think still holds true in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you get more about Marion uh, in the movie in the book. Her name is Mary. Hmm. Um, apparently they changed it to Marion because they were they found that there were two women in Arizona named Mary Crane. Oh, and they didn't want any legal problems. <laughs> they didn't want to disparage these women. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but you get more about what her deal is. Basically, she, while her sister went off to college and, mm. and had a life Marion ended up having to stay at home taking care of their mother I think yeah so basically her life yeah got put well, on hold put on hold yes yeah. and so by the time the mother passes away and, mm. and she's free she's basically she's like 30 I think uh, she's unmarried she's, you know, she's, she's an old maid yeah. back then and so you, you get a little bit more about why she's so desperate but sure. I don't think you need that stuff I think the movie no, does it no. very well yeah and there's another but like 
I, I find her her characterization and Norman's so interesting. Yeah. And the ways in which, especially given that backstory, the ways in which they parallel one another, where mm-hmm. it's like you are just tied so tightly to, to your mother and this matriarchal figure, and you put your whole life on hold to take care of her. Um, but there's so much, like, <laughs> jumping around a little bit, mm-hmm. but I love... Hitchcock's dialogue mm. in so many of his movies because of the things that people because of the things that people say but also the things that they don't. Right. So there's this great moment later on in the movie when we know Marion is dead. Uh but Lila and Sam do not. They are still looking for her and they are talking to the deputy sheriff and his wife. Uh I think I think it's then or it's it's either then or when they're talking to Arbogast. Maybe when they're talking to Arbogast. I think it's I think it's when they are talking to the PI. Um and Sam they they they're they're hearing about Marion stole this money and she ran and and all this stuff. And Sam says to Lila, "I just can't believe it. I can't believe she'd do something like that. Can you?" Mm. And Lila doesn't answer. Oh, interesting. And it's like it, it, she makes she kind of looks at him and then like there's a beat like she sort of pointedly doesn't answer mm. and it's like oh okay so lila's kind of like no nah, i can see it yeah <laughs> like she knows her sister well enough to be like yeah maybe maybe she would do something like this well one of the things they do really well and you know i i was i was as we were talking about this i was i was trying to decide the one thing i was thinking that i might change is <laughs> i i had the thought that maybe instead of the um uh very funny other secretary who works for <laughs> yes who, who, I, who i think is hitchcock's wife or daughter 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 yeah um i Pat. might have put lila in that role mm. only because it's a little weird the way that she just pops up out of nowhere about yeah you sort movie. of hear about her earlier yeah on. her name comes up a couple yeah times. and they say your sister's gonna be away all weekend blah 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 but the thing that actually i thought works really well is Lila Vera Miles's performance is so starkly contrasted to mm-hmm. to to Marion mm-hmm. that you immediately n- know what their deal is. Like yes. Lila is the sister who has her shit together and yep. is always kind of like Marion's you know in it again. And Marion right. is is someone who is it's not that she she's a fuck up or anything, but it's like she just yeah. never really got it together. Well, and I I think if you're if we're taking the the back the background that the novel provides as sort of assumed in the movie. Yeah, I was just talking about in the movie, but yes. Yeah, but but I mean like if 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 you're sort of thinking she has had this sort of arrested development in mm-hmm. her life in the movie, then it makes sense that she's sort of not that she doesn't have her shit together right. because she's been very sheltered in, in one way or another, right. whether it's like she's always just kind of lived with her sister or she's always lived with family mm-hmm. and she's never kind of gone out into the world. She's never really moved beyond her immediate surroundings. It's, it's like, yeah, she has these sort of flights of fancy maybe or like unrealistic expectations like e- even when she drives and we kind of get her inner monologue fantasizing about what people might be saying mm. it implies she has this rich fantasy life in her head like right. she steals this money this forty thousand dollars which is a fuck ton of money back then i think it i think the adjusted was like almost four hundred thousand i think it was wow. like three hundred three fifty or something Jesus. like that yeah 
she steals this money with the fantasy in mind that she is going to show up at Sam's door. Right. And yep. she's going to solve all of his financial problems. Yep. And then they will get to be together. Yep. Then they will be get able to get married and run away together and start a new life. Which, as you pointed out in the chat, is wildly unrealistic. <laughs> well, the the thing, I think in the book, in the book, I can't remember she says this in the movie, mm-hmm. in her inner monologue. Mm-hmm. But her inner monologue in the book, she says, when she gets there... Like her plan is even more insane when she mm-hmm. in the book because she's like, when I get to Sam, we'll get married, uh-huh. and then I'll sell the second car under my married name, <laughs> which will meet which no one will be able to trace because uh-huh. no one will be looking for a Marion Loomis. And on top of that, she's like, I can't, I won't be able to talk to my sister. I'll have to tell Sam that we need to get married right away. And that um, we got the money from some inheritance and that Lila immediately went on a trip to Europe so she can't come to the wedding. (laughs) Like it's a lot more backflipping. Yeah. And one of the things that's great in the movie is like her plan is it's um, one of the things that I love is that her she's so bad at this. Yes. But everybody gives her the benefit of the doubt in a weird way. Yeah. Where it's like they're kind of suspect. Well, because she hasn't. In in a lot of the interactions, she hasn't done anything overtly wrong. Right, right. She's just being kind of weird, and she's a pretty white lady. So right. it's kind of like, well, I mean, I don't know what you want me to do about her. My, one of my <laughs> favorite characters in the movie is the is the car salesman. Yeah, because not only is he the most upright car salesman, yes, ever. Which unless that car was not worth seven hundred. That's true. That's true. Well, that's the other thing when he says like, ah, your car plus seven hundred, and she's like, mm-hmm. fine. He's like, huh? Yeah. Like, you know, it's that kind of stuff that I think is so... Yeah, I think at first he makes a comment where he says, oh, but you have time to argue about money, huh? Right, yeah. And then she's like, no, it's fine. And he was like, oh. Yeah. Like, that kind of stuff is so well layered in... Yeah. ...that um, it adds to her 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 desperation. But even you're, as yeah. you're watching this, you're going like, this is not good. Like, someone's going to figure out what's going yeah, on. Yeah, because she's be- she is being so obvious. Like, even even, you know, her interactions with the cop, I feel like... Just because of uh, current events, social mores changing, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. People these days maybe have a slightly different attitude towards the police. Mm-hmm. But in 1959, 1960, if you're just some lady driving a car and a police officer pulls pulls you over, or, or he doesn't even pull her over. She's asleep. She's taking a nap on the side of the road. That wouldn't freak you out like that. They do. They do present the cop in a very imposing way, though. They with do. The, the big but, sunglasses and yeah, the big close up. But I, I. But I do think her level of intense nervousness around yeah. him is remarkable. She does talk to him the way only a white lady could talk to a yes. cop. Though. Yeah, yeah, with a certain <laughs> level of disdain and yes. dismissiveness. Um, but yeah, it, it, between between the cop and the car salesman, and. Just just her general demeanor, even when she first gets to the motel, it's like, oh, someone's going to know yeah. she's up to something. And that's what's so satisfying about her death scene. Sad, mm. Maybe satisfying is not the right word. Like <laughs> narratively satisfying because she gets that moment where she goes, this is ridiculous. Yes. This is stupid. This is ridiculous. And this is wrong. This is wrong. I made a mistake. I've talked to this very nice man. Yes. 
And it's very nice young man. Very nice young man. And I have realized I have made a mistake. Yep. I am now going to take a uh, f- literal and metaphorically cleansing shower. Yep. And then put that white bra back on. Yeah, that bra's never going on. She's <laughs> the white bra dead. is. No, she gets killed. No, I mean like her her plan in her head. Oh, sure. I'm going to yes. take my shower. I'm going to take off the crime bra. Oh, right. And yeah. put on the nice lady bra. It would have been great if it, in that scene as Norman is watching her get undressed, she does take the white one out and goes, yeah. this, this one next. <laughs> but so you, you've you got this character who kind of goes on almost like a full arc. Yeah. And I think when, a, you know, when, when something very innovative in uh, pop culture or fiction or whatever comes mm-hmm. out, usually what happens is the imitators take the wrong lesson from it. Yeah. Um, if you look at every comic book that came out after The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen, mm. they were all dark and gritty, but they missed, they missed the point of yeah, both of those yeah. books. Yeah, well, that was, that was kind of my argument with like sort of Marion Crane's film descendants. Sure, yeah. yeah. But the other thing is like the idea of the what Hitchcock does in this movie becomes such a... Uh, notable thing, which is mm. we're going to cast the name actress yeah. in the part of the woman who gets killed. Yeah. But what happens is like that just turns into such a like a weird truncated cliche. Yeah. And I think probably the one that works the best is Drew Barrymore in Scream. Yep. But even so, like that's only like a 10 minute scene. Well, know? and that is sort of it. Every like. Very quickly, you realize how meta Scream is. Oh, of course, yeah. So it is a commentary on doing that, right? Which is why it also works, is yeah. because it's it's taking that and sort of flipping it on its head a little bit and doing something fun with it. But they, but they they all they just usually don't give this stunt casting character enough time, yeah. to breathe. Exactly. The yeah. the one where they did it, where it really kind of caught me off guard in a way that I I I don't think the movie was prepared. I, well, <clears throat> it's probably not fair, but. They did it on purpose, obviously, but I I don't think they handled it in a way that really lets you process what happened the way that this movie does, mm. which was the actually the Friday the Thirteenth remake, because they oh. spent if you remember they spend that whole movie with Danielle Panabaker yeah. as like the lead character, and then she ends up getting killed. Yeah, and so they're clearly doing that sort of bait and switch thing. Yeah, but by that point in the movie, things are happening so fast that you're just like, whoa, right? What is going? And here, when Marion gets killed, yeah, not only does all the music drop out except for the the, the shower, yeah. and obviously the the classic you know stinger, yeah, the next like ten minutes at least at least are Norman Bates cleaning up the crime scene, yes, with no dialogue, yep, and very minimal music, yeah, and I have to imagine it's just like they're giving you time to process what you just watched yeah because no one probably was expecting this to happen yeah and the way that that see that death scene hits where they go from a pretty languidly shot movie yep that isn't really jumping around a lot right into i think i i know i read it but it was i think it's like 42 to 50 cuts Wow. In that like 40 second death scene. Wow. Holy shit. So it's just like a machine gun yeah. at your eyeballs and then your ears. And yep. then, you know, you're totally knocked for a loop. Yeah. And uh, 
I find this to be, I didn't realize that this was something that he did a lot. Hmm. But as I said, in Vertigo, the same thing happens in Vertigo. And even in that one, they give you a little bit of time after that to process like, what the fuck is going on now? (laughs) Yeah. And I think that that scene is so, I mean, it's so iconic and effective for so many reasons. I think one of the biggest ones is that everyone, we all bathe. You know, like Mm -hmm. we all have private time in the bathroom, in the shower. It's when we're all... Tell that to my college roommate. I thought you were going to say tell it to your dog. Yeah, him too. (laughs) Um, But it's when you're at your most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You know, you're you're nude. You're not expecting anyone else to be in there. You think you are totally alone and you think you have absolute privacy. When I'm in the shower, I'm afraid to wash my hair. Because I might open my eyes and see someone standing there. Rockwell. Somebody's watching me. <laughs> oh, my God. I thought you were going to make a reference to the, uh, what is it? Is it the the grudge? Oh, yeah, that too. When Sarah Michelle Gellar is Maybe washing I'm crazy. her hair and there's a hand in it when she, yeah. touch, she touches the back of her own head and feels a hand. Maybe I'm crazy, just a little touched. Or maybe I've been watching Psycho too much. That's why I always feel like someone's watching me. So I have just called social, I have no social privacy. services. <laughs> have you taken away now? <clears throat> um, but yeah, it, yeah, you approach it approaches Marion in this moment of great vulnerability, mm. and then all those sharp cuts, like sharp, sudden, constant cuts of her getting stabbed to death and screaming, and it's being done by this figure that you don't get a good look at you just sort of see i don't know the impression of some hair Mm. and like maybe a dress kind of thing but you you have no idea who this is right you've no idea who has just barged into her room and stabbed her to death and so it's really i i this really is like we were saying earlier one of those movies that you can't help but think god what must it have been like yeah to watch this when it was new i would love to know if people figured it out right away what mm. was going on or if it was like oh sh- like people didn't get it until the end i'm i'm wondering if there is that level of disorientation that you were yeah. talking about where that hitchcock is so good at where it's not you're unmoored and you're uncertain and that's the way he wants it yeah it's 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 crafted very precisely to make you feel kind of unsure about what is going on wh- where is this going what is happening how does all this fit together? It, it, I would not be surprised if a lot of people were just so taken aback by getting to this moment of quiet and then have it devolve into this moment of brutality yeah. that you're just like completely stunned and left wondering. Yeah. And I, you know, I think another thing that Halloween takes from this is the use of um, sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, because as we talk about on, on the Halloween show, uh, Halloween has nudity in it, which is clearly meant for titillation, mm-hmm. but it is also there because you are putting these characters in the most um, vulnerable position possible. Yeah. And I think that's something that is, uh, I think both of those things are true in this movie as well. Yeah. Because Alfred Hitchcock is a little freak. <laughs> and like, I think he understands that because yeah. that's one of the things that I never. Um, appreciated about his movies 
It's because you think Alfred Hitchcock, oh, psycho, it's scary, Sus- master of suspense, blah, blah. You sit down, you watch these movies, mm-hmm. they are fucking weird. Oh, yeah. Like, and I think what you're, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's it's a lot of the stuff that is unsaid. Yeah. I think, I think that Sam Loomis mm-hmm. kind of seeming like he's not on the up and up with her yeah. is, might be intentional. True. Because it's one of those things where they're not explaining it. They're just putting it out there. Right. And so you immediately are on guard and yeah. on, on uneat in a state of unease. Yes. And I and the way that they handle sexuality in this movie is really interesting too because not only with the stuff with Marion, mm-hmm. you know, at the beginning when she's in bed and stuff, but when you get to Norman, yeah. Norman is he can't even say the word bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, you're you know? right. Yeah, he says and then there's in there. Right. And she says the bathroom. And, you know, when when mother takes over, she yeah. starts barking about having girls and you know mm-hmm. what happens when girls come around mm-hmm. and it's this it's this uh psychosexual you know subtext i mean it might be text i don't know but sub <laughs> subtextual thing yeah that is is runs through the whole movie that um you know like when we were watching the birds yeah that movie's weird. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's a lot of weird choices that are not oh, yeah. written on the page. Well, and another thing that a lot of Hitchcock's work has to do with, and I think the birds in Psycho are prime examples, is voyeurism. Yes. Like some form of watching and being watched. Part of what's so unsettling about the birds is that all those birds sometimes just sit there and fucking watch you. Right. That can be more scary than them attacking. And in this case... We're watching Marion, and she's being watched. Right. And apparently uh, Hitchcock specifically chose the camera lens that was uh, whatever the numbers are involved with camera lens. It's, mm-hmm. the, it's the closest to the human eye. Ah, Specifically to amplify that idea. Yeah, because and there, there are so many, you know, in, the, in this movie, Marion is being looked at intensely all the time like sam is is kind of always gazing at her when they're together and then when she gets to work um the oil man yep like when he when there's the scene where the oil the oil guy is flirting with her he can barely look away from her in that whole scene he Mm -hmm. is like locked onto her face even when she's looking down or the boss is talking or something else is happening and she's looking away that guy is like he he cannot stop looking at her. That's how you get women to like you, Amanda. You and then stare at them. Once she's left with the money, the boss sees her while she's driving. The cop watches her and follows her. Yep. Like she's just constantly being observed in that sense of knowing, suspecting, and knowing that you are being looked at. Mm. And you were being scrutinized at all times. Like you can feel it in those moments. And that's another reason why like the shower scene is so jarring is because it's the first time even in the car she feels like she's being watched it's kind of the first time that marion seems to feel like oh okay like i i've settled everything i i've made a decision i'm gonna undo this i'm gonna go home it's gonna be okay and i i can decompress i'm safe for now i'm alone Mm. and yeah to have her be killed so violently in that moment where she thinks she's kind which where she's kind of reached a a point of peace is like has an extra extra impact to it yeah yeah um you want to talk about norman 
I would love to talk about Norman. Let's talk about Norman. What do you think about Norman? Is this <laughs> the is this an instance of a, a role being too perfectly cast? Like I feel like this is mm. Anthony Perkins had a career after this, obviously, but this yeah. sort of dogged him a bit. Yeah, understandably. Um, and it's like this is I feel like this is Dracula, Bela Lugosi and Dracula level mm. casting, where it's like so perfectly executed yeah that you are norman bates for the rest of your life no matter what you do yeah i mean but at the same time like i wouldn't want i wouldn't have wanted anyone else to do it right like 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 a lesser perform it feels like almost any other performance in this role would have been lesser yeah i also think i think his performance you know he's a young guy here yeah and i think he is of an era of actor that is on their way up Mm-hmm. who is a lot more naturalistic in the way they do things. Like, uh, this is not... This, I, don't kill me if I don't say this <laughs> correctly, but... I have my pitchfork ready. I, I think this is only a couple years after James Dean. Uh, I think Streetcar Named Desire, Marlon Brando, is late 50s, I think. Mm. So you're getting these guys who are who have this more naturalistic style of acting who are coming yeah. up. The a lot of the other actors in this movie are a little bit older, yeah. And have that sort of older yeah. kind of stiffness to them, yeah. But he is just so natural and yeah. just lives in this character. Yeah, he sort of slouches. He kind of like walks around and fiddles with stuff. He, he munches on candy corn. Mm-hmm. Like he's so casual. And, and and it works it works so well on so many levels, but one of one of those levels is that he very much seems at home. Yeah, like he talks about, I grew up in that house. I've I've lived here my whole life, and you, you feel that from him as he kind of goes through the rooms and navigates around things. That he is very much in his element. This is his home turf, right? And you can see it from his manner until people start poking at him. Yeah. Yeah, it, they they throw some a lot of stuff in here too to make things a little more sus, not su, maybe maybe suspicious, but just mm-hmm. to amp up that unease. Because as yeah. you were saying, as you're saying, Norman, he's got some red flags, but yeah. they're not. There's nothing really screaming out that this is someone you should not be alone in a room with. Right. There's some things that are kind of like. The kind of things that only a, a, a the person watching the movie would really notice, like yeah. that, that Marion probably wouldn't notice, like when she's signing into the book, and she, when she says she's from Los Angeles, uh-huh. he's in the process of reaching for room number two, yeah. and then stops and reaches for room number one's key, mm. which I've always thought was interesting. I don't know why he does that. I don't know if something about Los Angeles made him go, you know big, what, I'm going to kill her. Big I don't city know. girl. <clears throat> yeah. Must be... No good. The other one that I thought was interesting was uh, when it's time to eat, mm-hmm. he specifically like box at eating in her room. Yes. Which I was I was reading that as he doesn't want to eat in the killing room. Mm. You know, like that's or or I don't know, but there's there's something about something in his nervousness or 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 I think uh, it's being that close to a bed. Maybe that's probably true too, yeah. That close to a bed with a beautiful woman in this sort of casual cuz again, e- eating eating is a social ritual. Eating is something we do with friends and family and loved ones. It's how we often connect with people. Mm-hmm. And I think doing something that can read as intimate right next to a bed 
with True. her right yeah. there probably was like, this is a man who can't even say bathroom. Right. Like, he would <laughs> like being yeah, alone no. in a room with a woman yeah. with the door shut, you know. Right. Or, Whereas like we can go into the office and then into the back parlor where all my birds can watch us. Right. <laughs> so we're not alone. All the birds are here. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, in the book, mm. um, they actually go up to the house to eat. Which is initially what he invites her to right. do in the movie, yeah. And he actually has like a big spread of food. Oh. And he watches her eat and he's like, ah, I'm not I'm not hungry. Yeah. And I couldn't help but think like, I feel like that has to be Dracula influence. Because it has a very similar oh, feel yeah. of Jonathan Harker coming to the castle and eating while Dracula, you know, watches I don't, I don't drink wine, that whole yeah. thing. Um, Yo nunco bebo vino. What? Yeah. <laughs> It's I, I never drink wine, but in Spanish. Oh, gotta watch Spanish language Dracula. It's so good. <laughs> I actually have not ever watched the whole thing. <sighs> well, yeah, we gotta do that. It's gonna be one of my wild cards. <laughs> I I definitely w- will watch it, but I <laughs> anytime I watch it, I find Spanish Spanish Dracula to be a little bit too um, telenovela. Oh, come on. <laughs> That's how Dracula should be. I know. Are you saying that Bella Lugosi reads to you as natural and, and relaxed? Yeah. <laughs> He's my plato- platonic ideal. <laughs> Makes sense why you always wear that cape. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yes, yeah, the eating, the, the, the watching someone else eat to... It, yeah, it, it is sort of an intimate moment. And yeah. by not participating, you're kind of drawing a little bit of a line between the two of you. Right. You yeah. know, it, se- it separates you. You're not sharing a meal. You're watching someone else eat. Right. Which, when you think about it, is very weird. Like, yes. it's very weird to sit and watch someone else do this sort of biological process mm. in front of you while you observe them. Right. Um. It's but, yeah. It's less weird in like movies when someone is eating and someone comes like if it's yeah. someone like yeah come on I just got to finish my like that doesn't feel weird but when yeah. someone brings you food yes. like in their home well, it ha- and then is like please I'll just watch yeah, yeah yes yeah That's it, when it again gets weird. again it goes back to the voyeurism thing yeah where he all he, where he wants to watch her he doesn't want to actually engage with her on any sort of intimate level but he wants to watch her you know what's kind of surprising given the way that they set up his taxidermy thing yeah it's a little surprising he doesn't keep the body maybe that's a little too much for 1960 that might be yeah yeah but doesn't that kind of like make sense where i don't know yeah Anyway, he kills her puts her puts her in the trunk another (laughs) Yep. yep you know one of the things that hitchcock does is he doesn't have a lot of uh he's totally okay reminding the audience that he that you're watching a movie yeah and like he's not really he doesn't really adhere to realism as mm-hmm. much as you might think and every now and then he'll throw things in that are uh very um either unrealistic on purpose or just yeah. like very uh hand of the creator type stuff yeah <coughs> excuse me and one of my favorite ones is when he pushes, he moves the camera through the room to specifically push in on the newspaper. Uh-huh. Because the money is is such a great little, mm-hmm. uh, I don't even know if you'd call it a MacGuffin, but it's- Yeah, for like half the people in the movie, it kind of is, but- Yeah, because you've got this moment where, where Norman's, it's just another 
great bit of suspense building because yeah. Norman's cleaning everything up and he he leaves the room after he, this is after he's pushed in on the money. Mm-hmm. And so you start thinking, oh, shit, he's not going to see the money. But then he comes yeah. in and he gets it. Yeah. But he doesn't look at it. Right. He throws it into the car. Right. Which he then, then dumps rolls into the swamp. And that ends up being his undoing, kind of, because yeah. they all, uh, Loomis and Lila, think that Norman took the money. Yeah. And he doesn't even know it's there. Well, and they think that would be, everyone thinks that that would be the perfect motivation. Right. And the fact that he is unaware that the money even exists means that he doesn't really anticipate that all these people are going to come looking for this girl. Yeah. Like, getting one person coming through looking for her, maybe he wouldn't have been shocked, but, like, people keep showing up and really insistently looking for this girl. And I'm guessing he did not anticipate that. Like, if he thought she was from... Yeah. Whether it was L.A. or Phoenix or whatever, if he's thinking she's from the city... And she's kind of unattached. She's just out in the world on her own. No one's going to come looking for her. Yeah. So then to all of a sudden have these people showing up all the time. Being like, hey, have you seen this woman? It, he's not, he's clearly not prepared for it. Yeah. His his conversation with Arbogast, he's just as bad a criminal as Marion was. Yes. Like, well, that's what so kills me. He's so bad at covering. He He's so good at cleaning up the crime scene mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> in the way that a person who spent his entire life cleaning up motel rooms would probably be. Yeah. Um, but then he is so bad at, like, reining himself in. He keeps giving himself away when it comes yeah. to Marion. Over and over again, he can't stop himself from talking. Mm-hmm. And that is what gets him in trouble. Well, he gets, he seems to get specifically extra nervous when men talk to him. Because yes. men are, they tend to be a bit more aggressive. Arbogast isn't really that aggressive. Loomis is pretty aggressive. Arbogast is, is friendly, but insistent. Yeah. Like they, there's a whole exchange where Arbogast wants to talk to his mother and they keep talking over each other. Right. Like Arbogast, yeah. he's like, no, 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 it'll just be for a minute. I understand that she's, she's, she's not well. I'm not saying I want to do anything. I just need to go up and then just talk to her for a couple minutes and mm-hmm. he won't let it go yeah. until Norman says, frankly, I have to ask you to leave now. Yeah. And yeah, it gets to a, a confrontational point. It kills me how bad I this not that not that I've thought about this or anything, but oh god, I I always find <laughs> it so funny when when these these criminals get into this situation where if they had just told the truth mm-hmm. and changed one element, yeah, it would not be an issue. If he had just said, "Yeah, she came through here," I think that yep. I've I've seen this woman. She signed a fake name. Yep. And then she stayed one night and she left and I yeah. that was it. Like Even that, we had, you know, she she was hungry and I made some sandwiches and we talked for a little while and it sounded like she was going to go back home. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. But I think he's... Norman is not accustomed to talking to people. Right. It, they imply that he's done this a few times. He's killed a few people. Yeah. But it, it's probably, he, he probably has a barometer for people who are not going to be missed. Right, yeah. right. And people who come by themselves to this little motel and stay the night are, again, they're vulnerable. They think they're alone. They yeah. think they're, they are having a private moment. When somebody like Arbogast shows up and his job is to find things out, like he, he's not there as a customer. 
he's kind of used to dealing with people who don't want to talk to him. Mm-hmm. His whole job is to get people to talk to him. So he maybe, you know, is better at knowing I'm going to keep pushing. You know, this person seems uncomfortable, but I'm going to keep pushing through it because yeah. it doesn't bother me. But Norman, yeah. Watching Norman talk to Arbogast or Sam Loomis versus his conversations with Marion, it's really striking the difference between how he will speak to a woman by herself versus how he will speak to a man. Yeah. Like he takes a defensive stance almost immediately yeah. when there when there's another guy involved. I would take a defensive stance with Sam Loomis too. Because <laughs> yeah, he, he just talks showed to, up and was like, hey. He talks to he talks to Norman th- the way that no human would ever talk to another person where he's like with Lila <laughs> they're trying to figure out what to do and he's like, Lila, go check out the house. Don't worry. I'll keep Norman occupied. And he goes into the office and he's like, you killed her, didn't you? Yeah. You just, you had to keep her for yourself. And Norman's like, what are you yeah, talking yeah. about, buddy? It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, God, it's She so turns funny. into Dr. Sam Loomis for a second yeah, here. Yeah, Um, There was something else I had wanted to say about Norman and I lost my train of thought. Well, hopefully we'll come back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, after the, after the, after they get, uh, let me see, after they one more time. After she gets killed, we move into the section of the movie where I usually check out um, where because it's it's so the thing about this movie is like after that scene, mm-hmm. how the hell do you keep people engaged? Like either everybody's on edge or like it's yeah, it's such a dip. And I don't mean that like in quality. It's just like you're you're emotionally emotionally and like your adrenaline is at such a, a big hit. Yeah. That like for the next 15 minutes when it's like three people talking about where Marion could have gone. Part of me is like, all right, let's go. When does he stab the guy and knock him <laughs> down the stairs? You know? Um, I mean, I, I, I think part of it is like you were saying that kind of giving people a minute or more than a minute, a little bit of time to process everything they've just seen. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the point where you are stuck wondering, Oh my God, is he going to get away with this? Right. Yeah. And who killed her? Because at that point, somebody showed up and killed Marion. Right. Yes. You don't know who. And then Norman yells from the house, mother, you're covered in blood. Mm. So you're like, oh, shit, Norman's mother killed Marion. Mm-hmm. So then you think Norman is covering for his insane mother. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's something a little bit weird about this guy but if he's covering for his mother, he's not bad. I mean, right. you know, he, yeah. it, 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 for so much of the movie, he's in, this is kind of what I was going to say, I think. Um, for so much of the movie, he in, and Marion are really two sides of a very similar coin. Okay. Where they are doing bad things, but for reasons that you can sympathize with. Yes. Yes. Marion steals a lot of money that's not hers. But you can kind of sympathize with her. Like her, her her dreams are altruistic and she thinks she's stealing from this guy who's walking around saying, I never carry more cash with me than I can afford to lose. Right. Yep. So she's like, all right, <laughs> it'll be fine. And this will change my life and change Sam's life and we'll be able to be together and, and everything will be great. And then with Norman, at least if you don't know how this movie ends. That's why I never carry more than 45 to 50 cents on me at any yeah, given time. that's all you can afford to yeah. lose um if you think that norman's mother has killed marion 
then Norman is doing what he's doing to protect his mom. Yes. Which might, again, like Marion, that might be the wrong thing to do. But it's very sympathetic if he is protecting his elderly, mentally ill mother from the consequences of her very heinous actions. So you kind of want to, I don't know, there's, there's a moment where it's a little bit like, do you want, you don't want him to get away with it. But at the same time, the tension, there's tension on both sides. Like, are they going to catch him? Do you want them to catch him? Right. And, you know, what happens if they show up and, and the mother kills somebody else? So I think right. that's kind of what's supposed to propel you through the last, the second half of the movie is, oh shit, is, is Norman going to be able to cover this up for his mom? Or are yeah. they going to figure out what's going on? And he, he is the kind, I think another thing in his performance that a lot of people have been chasing over the years mm-hmm. is f- finding that line of um, just weird enough to still be charming even though you're involved in some heinous shit. Yes. Yes. That you're kind of like, oh, I kind of hope he gets away with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of like he's, there's something young and boyish about him. Mm-hmm. I don't I I think age-wise this is true. I could be wrong. But he reads as younger than Marion to me. Mm, interesting, yeah. Like, she strikes me as a woman who's probably, you know, mid to late 20s, maybe 30. And Norman strikes me as like a 22-year-old. Well, you let's know. find out. <laughs> but I think he really uses that boyishness to his advantage. Uh, yeah, she's a few years older than him. Yeah. yeah, and he and he looks so young. Yes, he does. Like he yeah. he looks he's he's very clean cut. He's very nicely dressed. Yes, yes, he's very put together. He's clean shaven. Mm-hmm. He's got a short haircut. Like he looks like a good boy. Yeah, another change from the book. In the book, he's uh, kind of like a short fat guy uh, with balding and like a little bit. No, more in this, he's he's handsome. Creepy, he's yeah. like there's there's <clears throat> on first glance nothing. Nothing that would tip you off there's anything going on with this guy. Right. And the only time he 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 starts to snap at first is when Marion pushes him about his mom. Yep. About his mother. And the thing I love about that conversation, not to keep dwelling on it, um, when Marion implies maybe you should put her, quote unquote, somewhere. Oh, and yeah. he says, oh, people always say somewhere. And what they mean is an institution. Mm-hmm. Do you know about those places? And then he starts going into detail. Right. What it's like in an institution. And it's like, wow, Norman, how would you know that? I read a lot. <laughs> I, wanted, I went there on a field trip once. Like yes. John Carpenter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the, uh, the death of Arbogast is yes. the next bit of action. Explicit unreality too yeah because I, like that's one thing actually when i was younger that moment turned me off quite a bit because really? I, I wasn't I, I wasn't on the same wavelength as the movie the you know? moment where it shows yeah, mother where, quote unquote coming out of the uh specifically the way he falls the down the stairs i can see because like when i was younger the first time i saw it, i was like that's stupid like it yeah. looks so dumb I, I can I can see that there is still a little piece of me that sometimes when when that scene happens I think like oh that looks kind of hokey you know he's yeah. like windmilling his arms and going whoa as he goes yeah, down it the is, stairs it is such an odd choice yeah. but it, like it, it's it's one of those moments where he's he's going for the uh, the impression 
the impression yeah. of the moment more yes. than the reality of the moment. Yeah, and the fact that if you were the one who'd just been stabbed by somebody coming out of a room out of nowhere and then you fell backwards down the stairs, shit would probably feel kind of unreal to you. Yeah, I can't... Is it The Exorcist that uses that? There's... The, uh, there's... I, I think it's Maybe. something we watched recently Yeah, uses that, like, they lock the camera in front and then the guy falls backward. I think yeah. it might be The Exorcist. I can't Get Out kind of does it into the sunken place but that's a different yeah a very different vibe um and the the other moment that i really like that is uh just an an odd interesting first of all i think sam and lila actually have a lot more chemistry they do yeah which is always so weird that's why i like i said earlier i had this weird like half suspicion that i was like wait a minute in this movie is he actually in love with the sister because mm-hmm. he does have so much more chemistry with her they they make a much better team it could be a peter bogdanovich situation where he does fall in love with the sister oh do you sorry that's that's a weird joke to make yeah peter bogdanovich <clears throat> let me push my glasses up here oh boy film director peter bogdanovich yes yes i am familiar was uh married to I don't know if they were married, but he was in a relationship with a Playboy playmate okay. who was murdered by her <gasps> husband. Oh. So I guess they weren't married. Very famous. I can't remember the woman's name. Uh, Stratton? Dorothy, oh. Dorothy Stratton. Yeah. After the death of Dorothy Stratton, mm-hmm. Bogdanovich ended up in a relationship with Stratton's sister. So I'm just saying it's not entirely impossible that that could have happened. Sure. So. <laughs> that was a weird tangent. Well, you know, talking about dead ladies and their sisters. So. Dead ladies and falling in love with sisters. Yeah. But the other the other sh- scene that I like that is, mm-hmm. I, I have no idea why he does it this way, mm-hmm. is when they have, <clears throat> excuse me, they have that conversation in the pitch black. <gasps> yes. <clears throat> inside the, I don't know, the hardware store. Yep. Where there's a, there's, they're being lit from like the far door. Yeah. But everything else is in silhouette and shadow. Yep. And it's like, there's no real reason to do this other than it looks cool. Right. And I can't remember what they're talking about, but maybe she wanted to be like, oh, well, it's, it's a low moment, so there's no light or whatever. But yeah. but like he does that like in Vertigo. Mm-hmm. He plays with lights in a really weird way in that movie. Yeah. Where the first time... Uh, um, what the fuck is his name? Jimmy Stewart sees the, the, the woman at the... the um, the restaurant, mm-hmm. she stops in front of the light, mm. so she's being lit from behind, and then the light just gets really, really, really bright. Yeah. And there's another scene later on where uh, this guy at a bookstore is explaining something to Jimmy Stewart, mm-hmm. and the lights just dial down. Mm. I When I saw it in the theater, I thought there was something wrong with the print. Oh, wow. Because it gets really, really dark, yeah. and then as soon as his story's over, the lights come back up. Huh. And it's very strange. There's another weird moment in this movie that has less to do with light specifically, but it is definitely a weird choice. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the conversation when Sam and Lila go to the sheriff's house. Yep. And there's there's Sam and Lila on one side. And there's the sheriff on the other. And the the sheriff's wife is sort of in the middle. Mm-hmm. The camera keeps switching back and forth between Sam and Lila, the sheriff. Mm-hmm. Sam and Lila, the sheriff. The wife is always in the shot. Though. Is she really? She's always <laughs> in the shot. That. And she's in a slightly different position depending on which side Interesting. you're looking at. And it's yeah. so weird because I thought for a split... Like, like she's in the same position... Every time the camera goes back to Sam and Lila, 
say her head is tilted slightly to the right and her her lips are kind of pursed in concern. Mm. And then when it goes back to the sheriff, she's looking slightly towards the left and her face is more neutral. Interesting. And she's in the same position (laughs) every (laughs) time it goes to that shot, but the two positions are different. So for a split second when I watched this movie, I was like, are there two women? So it looks like there's five people in the yeah, yes. that's really funny. Yeah, it's really weird. I don't know if they just spliced together two the best takes from each side of the conversation or something and it was just like, eh, good enough. Yeah, I don't but know. It it's it has this really weird effect where you're like there the sheriff's wife has a doppelganger and it's kind of off putting when you watch it. Like it makes that conversation feel really bizarre. Like yeah. really weird. And it's the conversation where Sam keeps Sam and Lila keep insisting, you know, the the private investigator went up to the Bates Motel and Mrs. Bates is there. And they're like, She couldn't be. Right. And they're like, No, 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 she was there and they keep insisting until they say, Well, she died ten years ago and the wife is like, Yeah, I helped pick out the dress. It was periwinkle blue. And it's such a weird scene altogether that it's just like what is happening here it's it's the first of two scenes in the movie that i think are are bummers yeah (laughs) yeah anytime this movie gets into exposition yeah really drags things down but i'm glad you brought it up yes because Mm. you know how much that i don't like cop plots in movies i know you do not well in his famous interviews with sir alfred hitchcock francois truffaut who was a fan Mm. of the movie commented that the scenes with the sheriff were a letdown. Hitchcock replied, the sheriff's intervention comes under the heading of what we have discussed many times before. Why do they go to, why don't they go to the police? Uh, I've always replied, they don't go to the police because it's dull. <laughs> Here is a perfect example of what happens when they go to the police. Yeah. Alfred Hitchcock didn't like cop plots either. You can tell. There's not a ton of them in, in, in a lot of Rubber stamped, my opinion, rubber stamped. By one of the greatest. <laughs> he came to does, me. Does that elevate you to that level? He came to me, tears in his eyes. He said, Clay, cop plots are bad. <laughs> one and of the greats. He wiped we all love, tears on your cape. We all love Alfred Hitchcock. He's doing a lot of great things. <laughs> that was my non-voice trumpet person. I was just thinking the same thing. Um, yeah, so you get we get through that scene, and then yeah. the reveal of the mother fantastic oh it's so good you know the other thing that i that i noticed that was uh um when arbogast goes to the the when he ends up getting killed yeah he pulls up to the motel and you see norman walking down the line of rooms yeah and so i found myself thinking how the fuck did he get into the house before arbogast because like arbogast Mm. goes into the office and so norman should be like over here but somehow he beats him back into the house, changes into mother, and then kills him. Yeah. They actually answer that question in the oh. last sequence because Lila ends up running down that direction. Yeah. And there's a split where she can go behind the rooms and go up to the house. Oh. And so I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, he could have just. That's what Norman did. Yep. Um, but uh, the reveal of the mother is fantastic, and yep. the the slow turn is great, uh, yes. and it's just... especially since you've been hearing her voice this whole time. Yeah, 
Like you've been seeing her sort of, and you've been hearing the voice and then to have that, that turn. And it's just that, that desiccated corpse face with no eyes and the teeth all exposed mm-hmm. staring at you. It's so good. And she smacks the light with her hand, which is great. And, right. You know, it's she it's being very... Lila, not yes. the corpse of the mother. Unfortunately. No, no, no it's not that movie. It's just uh, very, <laughs> very well choreographed. Like and then else. having Anthony Perkins as Norman, as mother, just come into the doorway in the full dress and wig with this big fucking smile on his face and the knife raised high. And he yep. looks so excited that he's going to stab <laughs> another one. Like he looks so insane. Yes, he does. It's so great. Yeah. Then unfortunately, yeah. the other thing that was, it would be different if they made this now is Sam Loomis definitely dies. Yeah. Like Loomis dies yeah. and then Lila yeah. has to Yeah, and it's just defeats. Lila playing yeah. cat and mouse with mother all through the house. Yeah, that's how that's how these things evolve. Like mother. <laughs> um but yeah, so they capture him and then we get to the worst scene in the movie. <laughs> which is where Surprise, surprise, full of cops. Yes, full of cops. <laughs> and a psychiatrist yes. who walks which out Clay does not agree with. <laughs> I don't I think it's fake science. Um <laughs> No, I, uh, yeah, they just, the psychiatrist walks out and just starts just psychoanalyzing. He's had like five minutes to talk to Norman slash mother. He's, he's doing it in a way that doesn't sound natural and it just sounds like he's reading it out of a book. Yeah. Like it it feel, it feels like somebody said, look, people aren't going to get it. People aren't going to get it. You need to spell it out really clearly for them to make sure that they get it. So we need this guy who is a doctor to start saying all the things to make sure the audience understands. Well, that is true. That is what the studio said. Ah. Uh, Hitchcock did not like this scene either. Once again, my opinion rubber stamped by great. Uh, Are you just trying to say you like are the reincarnation of Alfred Hitchcock? (laughs) I think I'm about a foot and a half taller than he is. (laughs) At least. But we might weigh the same. (laughs) You Um, have much, much better hair. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> Similar silhouettes, I think. But, no. Um, Disagree, but you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of a, a bummer of a scene. But honestly, yeah. they they really they really pull the plane up at the end with that final scene yes. with Norman, where it is one of my favorites. Yeah, where he is now fully mother and. I there love. Was, I even love when the cops come in and they say, "Excuse me, uh, he's a bit chilly. Can we bring him a blanket?" Because that is one hundred percent what a little old lady would be like. It's chilly. There is her. one thing that the doctor says that I do like, mm. where he says uh, he was. He's talking about the split personality thing. Yeah, and he says he was never a hundred percent Norman. Yeah, but often he was a hundred percent mother. Yeah, which is which is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Um. But yeah, when it when they give him the blanket and he's in the room alone and there's that monologue moment that again, in my opinion, kind of mirrors him to Marion. Mm. We're the only two characters you really get an oh, inner internal. monologue yeah. from yeah. are Marion and Norman. Yeah. Um and it's it's mother saying, Well, you know, I'm just going to sit here and they can't they can't do anything to me. I'm a harmless old lady. They're going to see how nice and harmless I mm-hmm. am. It's so good. And they the the last shot where it's a close up on him, and then they do this dissolve to the car being pulled out, and they do that quick superimposition yep. of mother's face over his face. Yep, excellent. And one of the things that I love about this movie 
is that you walk away with all of these kind of impressions and, and maybe questions. And at least for me, it wasn't until I had a minute, I had a little bit of time to process that I started thinking about like, well, like what was Norman's relationship with his mother really like? Mm. And I know that that's the inspiration for that whole Bates Motel TV show that was out a few yes. years ago. Yes. But in this movie, you get Norman and then Norman's illness as mother. Mm-hmm. There's no, I know the implication is that he is just 100% emulating his mother. Right. That but, she, the way that she treated him caused this right personality split. But there's kind of, I don't know. They don't, they don't really come out and say that there's no way no, to know that. The, and I find that stuff really interesting. Like I'm, yeah. I'm glad they don't try to answer that. I'm glad there's no flashback sure. of mother abusing him yeah. the or closest, something. The closest you get is, do they specifically call out, an Oedipus complex? I think they do. Maybe not. I, don't know I can't if they remember. Do. You know what? No, that's in the think... book. Yeah, in I the, don't think in the they book do. there's there's a lot of inner monologue for Norman. Yeah, and it says like I've read the books. I've yeah. but I think what in the movie, what you're getting is you're clearly getting some sort of inappropriate relationship on his end, some yeah. sort of Oedipal relationship because yes. you know. He freaks out when his mother gets remarried or is going to get remarried and right. he kills them both. Right. And so like his um uh what's the word I'm looking for? Um repression and embarrassment yeah. with sex stuff. Yep. Doesn't necessarily have to be something that was imposed on him. Right. But it's something that he just naturally feels right or maybe maybe it was maybe he was raised in a really conservative and kind of limited way but that doesn't necessarily mean that it was in the same way that his brain has twisted it yeah i don't know i i i really like that about this movie i I like that it leaves norman and his mother's actual backgrounds just sort of open (laughs) Like, you can infer a bunch of stuff from it. You can make some pretty solid assumptions, probably. But they don't go into it. You know, there's no, like, well, you know, his mother did this, and then he did that, and then he did this, and his mother did that. Like, it's just like, no. They're just, they've lived there for a long time. The sheriff knows who he is. Yeah. Like, is familiar with the family. There weren't any signs like like this 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 small town has just kind of whatever warning signs they had about Norman they just ignored them. Yeah. I do I the one I do think it's strange. I don't know how close or far mm-hmm. the Bates Motel is from anything. Yeah. Like that sheriff seems to know him. Yeah. But there's no implication that it's just they like They say it's like 10 miles it's from 10 miles from, from, from Fairview downtown. or whatever yeah. it is, the little town that um Sam lives in. Oh, does he live there? Oh, that's yeah. right. Okay. Yeah, that's why, right. she, that, that makes that's why yeah. she's heading that way. He he runs the Fairview Hardware I c- Store. I couldn't remember if it was the same. I just remember him saying that yeah. there's a diner 10, mi- 10 miles up in the Fairview. road. In Fairview. Okay. Yep. yep. Uh, I do I do find it funny that in the, the subsequent sequels they've made. So mm. I've never seen any of the sequels. Uh, the second one is probably worth watching. Okay. Uh, direct, directed by? Written by? Written by the guy who wrote Fright Night. Oh, okay. I think. He either wrote it or directed it. I can't remember which one. But it's one. He's fun. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where Psycho isn't... 
it's it, it was an untouchable movie for 20 years. Yeah. Like you you only get Psycho 2 mid well, what year was that? Psycho 2 Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh Psycho 2 was 83. Okay. So Wow. It's 23 years. Wow. Which as as we all know as students of the Rotten Horror Picture Show, mm-hmm. 1983, right in the pocket of the slasher boom. Oh yeah. So We've obviously had at least four Friday the 13th at this point. Yeah. So obviously you're bringing out the old the the old guard. Yes. Uh, the the granddaddy of them all, if you will. Yes. Convincing Anthony Perkins to play this character again. Uh, he actually was in three sequels. Is that true? No, he was in two. He was in wow. Psycho Two. No, he wasn't three. He was in, he was in Psycho Two. He directed and starred in Psycho Three. Oh wow! And I believe he was also in Psycho Four. Then there was a uh, a first attempt. At a Bates Motel show, which oh. which is really interesting because it's one of those shows slash movies mm. that I thought I had dreamt. Oh, oh yeah. Because the, I think this was the same trip where I saw Legend for the first time, which was another movie I thought that I had dreamt. Trip like you went somewhere or trip like you were on something? Who's to say, honestly? <laughs> but I remember seeing, watching on TV this show. Yeah. I think it was a movie. That was took place at Bates Motel, but I could never place what it was. <coughs> nice. It was in my head. I had a, this memory of it. Yeah. That it had, I think Jason Bateman is in it. What? Yeah. Which in my head, I was like, it's the guy from Teen Wolf 2. I know that. Um, and it was like, it was this really weird kind of surreal thing that existed yeah. in my mind. Much years later, uh, Lori Petty's in it too, I think. Oh. Um. Years later, I found out that it was a failed attempt to do a uh, Bates Motel TV show. And so wow. they put it out as a TV movie, which I think they called Bates Motel. I can't remember. Um, but what I find hilarious is, and then of course they did the show, they successfully did Bates yes. Motel, which ran for like three, three or four seasons. I think it's I think. like five. Is it five? I, I watched all of them. I can't remember. I, I, I only am thinking this because I, I briefly Googled last night yeah. and it was like, I think you're right. 2013 to 2018 or something like that. There might have been a big gap between seasons, but I Mm. I think you're right. I think it's closer to five. Yeah. Um, Not a great show. (laughs) However, the kid, the relationship between uh, Norma and Norman in that show, Mm -hmm. excellent. Mm. Like it's worth watching just for them. Okay. Uh, But circle back around. Um, What I find hilarious is when they do these sequels, Uh which- generally have a lot of prequel elements built into them. Psycho 2 has a lot of prequel stuff in it. Okay. Um, I can see someone going, so Norman's mom was young enough that she was going to get remarried. So <laughs> she was probably hot, right? Yeah. <laughs> like hot enough that her son would like want to do her. So in Psycho 2, oh, God. Norma Bates is played by Olivia Hussey from Black Christmas. Ah. And in Bates Motel, she's played by Vera Farmiga. Ah. Both very beautiful yes. women who are not senior citizens. Right, they are not grandmotherly. But in this movie, I always think like she, yeah. based on the corpse anyway, it yeah. seems like she- And the voice. Yeah, she yeah. died 10 years ago. Right. I assume that she, you know, you can get you can get married at any age. Who, yeah. Who's to say she wasn't 60? Yeah, I, I don't think this movie cares much. No. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. Um, 
They uh, they famously did some uh, William Castle esque advertising stuff for this, mm. where uh, they when the movie came out, they did not allow people to come in after it had started. Which was kind of like a revolutionary thing yeah. back then, right? It used to be that you could just sort of buy a movie ticket for whatever was playing and wander in. Yeah, I guess people used to, they would wander in in like the middle of the movie yeah. and then stay through up to the point that they missed in the, the next play. Right, through. right. Because it was just sort of like, this is what we're playing in theater two today. Which is insane to me. But yeah. <laughs> how, like, how do you, what's the point of having having a narrative? Anyway. Um. And uh, what's the other thing they did? Uh, there was a lot of stuff about uh, not sharing the ending, and right, you know, it's right. it's it's an interesting movie because, like, I think all of for maybe the first time in history, all of that stuff one hundred percent warranted. <laughs> right, right. It's it's not the same as the sort of um, what was it? Was it was it The Exorcist and other stuff where they'd have a nurse in the lobby and like an ambulance yeah. waiting outside? Yeah. And, Things like that where it was sort of gimmicky and designed to drum up this feeling of like, oh, ooh, if it's bad enough, they need like medical personnel on site. It's got to right. be crazy. Handing up barf bags or something. Right. Yeah. Instead, this one was like, no, there's actual reasons why you need to come in when it starts and when it ends and you leave, don't tell people the plot. Yeah. Like it. it yeah. Apparently, and I don't know if this is a, uh, apocryphal or not, hmm. Um when Hitchcock read the book, uh-huh. he supposedly uh, anonymously purchased the rights oh. and then uh, attempted to buy up as many copies of it as he could find to stop people from reading it <laughs> so they wouldn't know <laughs> wouldn't know what the ending was. I don't know if that's actually true, but um, no idea. <clears throat> what apparently is true is that uh, this was a pretty big. This was a pretty big risk for him. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that he did was he actually uh, took a big cut in his salary because uh, they didn't want to give him the budget that he wanted. Yeah. And instead, he took 60% back-end gross. So he made a lot of money on this movie. Wow. Because this was a very big hit. Yeah. And has remained so for the better part of 50 are we in 60? Are we past? We not past 60 yet, are we? 20? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we are. Yeah. So, yeah. Psycho. Psycho. Pretty good movie. Uh, <laughs> number seven on our on our list. Yes. How do you feel about that placement? <sighs> I, w- I would like it to be in the top five. Well, it was. I know. <laughs> until the friggin' list had know, an aneurysm. I know, and I and I understand the argument that it's technically not that scary for modern audiences. Yeah. But I will continue to make my screaming plea that the uh, ramifications down the line through time, through the genre warrant certain movies being regarded closer to number one than others and i don't think you would have a uh, the vast majority of modern horror movies i don't think would exist without psycho no i don't think so either it's um (sighs) what are we doing in the 60s uh yeah it not much (laughs) i agree it doesn't really come back around until the, the late 60s early 70s no i'm yeah. sorry late 70s with with uh uh halloween well yeah. no let me let me rephrase that early 70s yeah 
Black Christmas, Texas Chainsaw, 1974. This is the 50th yeah. anniversary of those movies. Hey. Um, but yeah, through the 60s, you're not getting a lot of these. It yeah. doesn't start like a boom of yeah. this kind of movie. You're actually still working in a lot of supernatural stuff. Yeah, uh, but you can still going tell that there's a lot of people who watched this movie when they were 12, 13, oh, 14, 15. 100%, yes. And it, it just imprinted itself fully on their brains. 100%, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a it's a great one. Highly recommend if you haven't seen it. And uh, if you have seen it and you didn't love it, give it another watch. Because yeah. there's, uh, again, what I'm learning, Alfred Hitchcock movies, pretty weird. <laughs> weird and surprisingly funny. Yes, yes. There's, there's, there's a lot of one, one-liners <clears throat> or throwaway dialogue in this movie or little like sight gags and things that are actually really fun. I am now... I would like to watch more of his movies because I haven't seen that well, many. Well, Clay. <laughs> I know. I know you, you have the, the set. Yes, I do. Uh, I especially would like to rewatch Thanks, North Mom. by Northwest because I hated that movie. Really? Really disliked it. Okay. I'm interested to see if it has the same things in it that I, I have learned to like that I've I've picked up from yeah. Vertigo and Psycho. I feel like Vertigo and Psycho and the Birds are yeah. his three weirdest movies. So maybe I'm uh, not. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'm are... not going to get any weird stuff Some from the other, the other ones. Other ones but... are pretty weird. I, we just recently watched um, Body Double. Oh, right? I haven't seen that one. So we should talk if you watch it. It, okay. it is Brian De Palma, known for being uh, a Hitchcock enthusiast. Going to say a total madman. <laughs> that too. Yeah. And this is, Body Double is basically like he said, people keep saying this about me, so fuck it, I'm just going to do it. And it's like almost literally Vertigo and Rear Window mashed together. Weird. Yeah. Okay. Like even down to the fact that the main character has like, he's claustrophobic, which comes into play in the plot. Um, But yeah, it's an interesting watch where he's- Doing the Hitchcock thing like as overtly as one could possibly do it. Yeah. But he clearly knows that he's doing that. Right. It's intentional. It's a choice. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Okay. It also, little bit part, goes with the Gozerian from Ghostbusters. Hey. Yeah. Anyway. Everyone's favorite Gozerian. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening. If you'd like to help support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the Penske file where you can follow along on our coverage of Halloween this year. Join us. If, uh, all of the illusions we made to it seemed interesting you can get the same deep insightful (laughs) commentary (laughs) on the next 11 halloween movies (laughs) on patreon.com come listen to us slowly go insane as we go through another long series if you want to check in it's been a couple years since we did if you want to check in around june around halloween six to hear me go "Ah, i think this franchise might be a mistake (laughs) that's the time to do it so uh thank you guys for supporting the show thank you for listening thank you amanda thank you clay and we'll see you next time bye everyone oh oh our next movie <gasps> right uh, so amanda is we leaving continue us continue to do these <laughs> amanda is leaving us briefly Goodbye, my friends uh so we're we're playing uh, a little fast and loose with with our randomizer here but mm. um amanda will be joining us for one more i believe i think so and then uh we will have a couple guest hosts yes but uh our next film will be reanimator I am so excited. Number 40. Have you seen Reanimator? Uh, yeah, okay. but a long time ago. Cool. 
Great. Well, the, I I was just thinking because it's it's actually a, an interesting one to watch next because mm. the music in Reanimator mm. is a is like is to the psycho music that um, Ice Ice Baby is to Under Pressure. <laughs> oh God, I can't wait. Yeah, it's but gonna be fun. Reanimator, it's gonna be a good time. So we will see you next time with Reanimator. Bye, guys. Bye.